Hey, Dave, give me your thoughts. I know you got them. I know you've been holding them for me. What? On? Carl Nassib. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, thank God he's hot. That was honestly, that was my yeah. first thought. And I That's wish that I were a better person than that. But, I, you know, I saw the headline. And I was like, well, let's find out if this is good news. And I saw a picture. And it's great news. It's great news. You know, it led me down a, a, a rabbit hole of other great news. Where I, like on, um, I think, out.com, it was just a, a list of out football players. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them we have heard of. And, of course, the thing about Carl Nassib is that he is the first active NFL player. But yeah. there are tons of um, um, college athletes, tons of yeah. people who came out after they played. Uh, just good, just a good piece of queer history to uh, you know, yeah. get some context. There was, uh, I think it was on Sports Center. Not that I was watching. Somebody did a screenshot and posted it. But there was a Chiron on uh, Sports Center an hour or so after. Carl Nassib becomes first actively gay NFL player. <laughs> so yeah. he's just constantly. He's just constantly yeah. fucking. And certainly Active. I would. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm thrilled. And it just, you know, it, it it generally takes just the one. Obviously, I think our entire culture failed Michael Sam. Uh, however many years ago that was. That was, uh, it has to have been like an identity shredding fucking debacle for that guy. Um, and, uh, I, I hope that our media has learned from its mistakes and I hope that the NFL has learned from its mistakes. And I hope that this is just the first of many. I do too. Um, yeah. Uh, I do want to say that uh, Twitter is telling us that he is a registered Republican and possibly a vocal Trump supporter. And okay. I don't have receipts on that, but it is there are there are a lot of tweets about it, so I do think there's something there, and I yeah. do need him to correct the record on that. Sure, uh, come come correct in some way, shape, or form before I'm going to celebrate this in any way. Although right. I get giving a hundred thousand dollars to the Trevor Project, a beautiful gesture. Yeah, uh, no question. Yeah, no. Obviously, I hope he is not Trumpy. Uh, that would be a major bummer. But yeah. I, I choose I choose to believe otherwise. Um, yeah, on the, on the recently out, uh, uh, tip, tip, whatever. Um, I got to interview TJ Osborne. It should be up on Esquire.com by the time this drops. But what was, first of all, if you haven't seen his video for, uh, or brothers Osborne's video for, uh, younger me, uh, you really should look that up. Uh, the song is beautiful. The video is beautiful. Um, but he says something, um, he, you know, he obviously he came out in Time Magazine in February uh, with an interview with friend of the show, Sam Lansky. And um, and a thing that I don't really remember from the interview, but a thing that he gets into um, with me is he did the thing in talking to Sam Lansky that you do when you're just coming out. That's like being gay is not, not the most important part of who I am. It's not, you know, it's not the biggest part of me. There are so many other things that I am before I'm gay and whatever. And and apparently Sam Lansky was like, what if it is? Like, what if being gay is yeah. the most important thing about you? What if it's the biggest thing about you? And that, like, that has resonated with him over the last four months so strongly. And it's like, we're now seeing an artist, a country artist, work those ish- issues out, like, in real time and on stage and yeah. in video and in music. And it's like... It's 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 I, I'm truly hoping we can get him on this show. 
Um, I hope so. I'm excited to read that interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. It's going to be great. I'm very, very pleased. He's such an interesting guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like these are these are conversations that we don't really have in the culture. You're can't, you're either like out and you're Colton Underwood and you're you know here here Amazon are my top ten you know Yeti coolers for Pride or whatever. You, you know you go directly into being like an icon or whatever, but you don't get into like the messy issues of figuring yourself out and untying the knots yeah. you've been tying for decades and whatever. It's uh, I didn't think it would be a country artist who's going to do it, but it feels like he is. Well, uh, another very notable out entertainer is here with us this week. Oh, my God. And that is, I, I think it's safe to call him friend of the show, Glenn yeah. Weldon. Yeah. You know him from Pop Culture Happy Hour, uh, the fabulous NPR podcast. He is a smarty and a and a pop culture genius. Uh, he has uh, written cultural analyses of uh, Superman and Batman. Uh, his third book is out now. It is the NPR Podcast Startup Guide. If you are thinking about yes. starting up a podcast of your own, give it a read. He has got much wisdom and experience to share. Um, and he's he's just such an interesting and funny guy. I'm so glad we finally got him. And what a sweet, sweet, soulful guy, too. Yeah. He gets vulnerable with us in, yeah, yeah. in such a great way. We just love talking to him. Yeah. He's... Uh, He's a dream. And here is that dream, Glenn Weldon. They do want me to uh, check levels. Watch me paste this pathetic palooka with a powerful, paralyzing, perfect pachydermic percussion pitch. Oh, we have alliteration. We have... We got it. We Well, we, what we have somebody is... Uh, plosive. Wow. Exercises. Plosives on the mic. Wow. Too what plosive. a thrill to get this glimpse behind the curtain. Literally behind the curtain, it, it looks like. Yeah. It's, You've got uh, a, yeah. a full Chris Crocker, leave Britney alone situation. <laughs> I do, in fact. Happening. I didn't think about that. That is a much better reference because this is actually uh, the under the stairs storage at, at our cabin, oh. um, and I've been saying Harry Potter, but we have to we have to lose that cultural reference because fuck that term. Oh, so I have right. to come up with a new one. And and leave Britney alone is the perfect one. I think I'm going to use that from now. Great, on. it's a moodier leave Britney Britney alone. It's you know it's dog blankets. Yes, it's that's what it is. It's just a bunch of yeah. Dog it's a it's a CW reboot of Leave Britney Alone. Uh-huh. Um, and Absolutely. by the way, it's a big day. Uh, what is your what is your take on the Britney news du jour? Oh, I haven't caught up. I've been I've been in tapings all morning. What's what's the? Uh, it's this is the. Emancipation stuff? Yes. yes she, I guess. No, here, she has okay. a court hearing today where she is going to address the court for the first time in, I, I think, a very long time. And she has asked to do so. Well, by the time this comes out, I guess we'll know how it shook out. But I, okay. And she has you know, made it very clear she wants to be free from the conservatorship. I believe it will be uh-huh. up to doctors. So maybe we won't know what happens by Friday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the one public thing has been an Instagram uh, post, which is not not one of her better, not one of her more no. reassuring ones. It's she's yeah. she's uh, answering questions and nervously, anxiously kind of shifting from foot to foot. Um, she was like, so many of you asked, what was my favorite business trip? And I was like, I don't. It, that doesn't feel like a thing that so <laughs> yeah, many of anyone would ask. I got a lot of questions for you. Yes. That's not one of them. That is not yeah, one of yeah. them, but for the record, it is uh, Donatella Versace flew her out to Italy and find and dined sure. her, is her exact words. Okay, she find and dined. Well, find that's, find that's her $1,000 and then dined her. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on. 
All right, let me airplane mode real quick. Oh, there we go. All right. Oh, we've we've been Good. at it. We've been doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, oh, if you don't mind, if you don't right. mind giving people, a I don't mind. Behind. I don't mind. This is it. I will just say that I am delighted to be here. I feel kind of a responsibility because I feel like I'm here to represent the home listener. Uh, you know, the folks who have been listening every damn week from the jump from gentlemen the jump and uh you know even if we don't know who the hell the guest is the the way that many people will be listening this week will not know who the guest is but uh, stop that you know it's just just us regular get out of here it's just us regular joe and jane lunch pails out here you know we're listening we're darning our socks we're we're walking the dog Mm -hmm. and we're imagining that we're hanging out with matt and dave you know so so this is great and seriously a thrill Uh, people listen to pop culture happy hour in very much the same way yeah, I'd like to think so. That's the idea. The idea is that it's supposed to be uh, like you're sitting around at, the, at a bar with, with yeah, your pals talking. Yeah, So we are not only excited to have you, Glenn Weldon, but also it feels like a bit of a mashup, a collab, if you will. <laughs> well, that's it. You've been on the show, Dave, right? Right? Um, yes, you have. I, I was there when you were. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So this is just a, this is a sequel. It is a sequel. It is a sequel. I just listened to a recent episode, or I guess it was about a week ago, where you were all talking about um, Luca. And mm-hmm. one panelist briefly threw out the words, call me by your name, but then no one mm-hmm. came back to all of the gay undertones. And I thought that was going to be the majority of the discussion. Granted, I have not seen the movie, but yeah, please, yeah. please speak on it. Uh, okay. I mean, I thought we were going to come back to it too, but it just the direct, the, the conversation didn't go that way. And sometimes you have to kind of just follow that. And, you know, there are arguments on both sides of this issue. I think uh, there is certainly a subtext. And the thing with uh, us queer folk is that we look for subtext and we create subtext, whether or not it's intended. Intention doesn't matter. Uh, what you made is what matters. And you made a film that you can read uh, any way you want. And I happen to, th- to read that there's something going on there, mm-hmm. but n- not everybody will. And that's cool, too. Mm-hmm. OK, which brings us, I suppose, to Anthony Mackey's thoughts on the whole thing and, and the, the search for subtext in uh, what I keep calling the Falcon and the Snowman. Yeah, as, as do I. Yeah. As do I. I cannot. I refuse to uh, talk about call it anything else yeah i mean you know you take something as pure and what was the other thing pure and beautiful as homosexuality and to which i heard okay then you're not doing it right (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, wait i'm sorry what was anthony mackie's take he objected to people reading a queer subtext and that's all they were saying people Mm -hmm. uh that there's a there's a bromance there's a there's a queer subtext uh to the relationship between uh the falcon character and the winter soldier character and it's just, he was trying to be, um, he was a straight guy trying to, to display what he considers largesse as like, no, 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 I don't read it that way because uh, can't just two men have a friendship? Can't just two men be friends? And again, it doesn't matter what you think. It, it matters what we can mm. see. I mean, this is, this is the whole Batman Robin thing, right? I mean, yes, this is, this, I, I, one could write a book <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about how, uh, and there's a whole chapter in the, in the book devoted to the idea where I have to explain queer theory, you know, uh, queer semiotics to ostensibly the straight people I think will be reading the book. It's like this is when you depict Batman and Robin, Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne waking up in bed together uh, to you, writer, to you, artist, it might be, oh, they're just chums. But uh, to folks, especially back in that time, this was a, a strip, I think, in the 50s. It doesn't matter what you think, because the w- 
queer folk are out there and we're looking for representation anywhere we can find it, even in places where we can't. And we create it. And a medium like comic books and film, where so much of it is body language and, you know, unspoken, un, un, uh, textualized uh, communication, and then that's where we can find it. And for years we had to be con content ourselves with that. We don't anymore, and that's good. But, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I, 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 would ask, I would ask the straight folks to just uh, maybe shut the fuck up every so often, just occasionally. Because yeah. their objection does tell so much. It is, it is. It feels like it's a holdover. Yeah, it's a field holdover of some yeah. earlier time. Um, who would be in your uh, gay subtext Hall of Fame? Huh. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I, th I think you got your uh, your Sherlock Holmes and Watson. That's certainly sure. a thing. They live together. They they you know they they fight crime together. Batman and Robin. Sure, it's a little troubling when when Robin's a thirteen year old. It's less troubling when it's Nightwing. You know, a twenty four year old whatever. When um, it's Chris O'Donnell. It's magnificent. When it's Chris O'Donnell uh, with an earring and uh, bat nipples, it is perfectly, mm -hmm. it's inevitable is what it is. I think the word yeah. we're looking for here is inevitable. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, again, it's, it may be there, it may not be there in the, in the writing. It's certainly there in how it uh, is perceived. And that's ultimately what matters about art. I, not to make you quote your own tweets here, but please share any thoughts you may have on um the notion that um, Batman does not perform oral sex. Yeah, that was uh, that was weird. I mean, I, I that so this thing for for listeners who may not know because they have lives. Uh, there was an interview with the makers of a show called Harley Quinn, which is a very adult oriented cartoon animated series uh, that plays around with the villains in the DC universe a lot. But kind of th the point they made in the interview is like, yeah, DC let us go crazy with the villains, but when it came to the heroes, they were a little protective. When it came to Batman, we had a scene where Batman was going down a Catwoman, and they said, don't do that. We can't possibly do that. We have to sell toys. And also, heroes don't do that, which is, on its face, uh, a little... <laughs> it's just completely false, because A... The uh, I maintain that the ears on the cowl, the bat ears on the cowl, are there to be used as handles to direct his efforts. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. canon, as far as I'm concerned. And B, of course, heroes do that. That's what heroes put the needs of others over those of themselves. That is the definition, the working definition of a hero. So anyway, on Monday, uh, after those tweets and uh, just a lot of people making fun of this very ridiculous notion, I got asked to go on All Things Considered and speak to millions and millions of of tote bag, toting Americans and, and, and say essentially this and talk about fandom and talk about how thankfully it's changing. It used to be that just there were nothing but, um, you know, we used to think that straight white middle-aged dudes were the fandom um, because they were the loudest. And especially in the early days of the internet, it really seemed like that. But as the, as the fandom, as, the, as, as these things get bigger, and unfortunately one of the things is that superheroes are now kind of crowding out Everything else. So superheroes are now the mainstream, right? So now the fandom is bigger. There have always been queer folks and, and uh, women and people of color in the fandom. But now, thanks to the Internet, they have there's more voices in the mix. And whenever anything gets less monolithic, it just gets better. It just gets more varied. And you get to tell more interesting stories. Yeah. And Well, to... to um ask a question that is asked on pop culture happy hour uh every week what is making you happy this week or in this moment 
Oh, boy. Uh, well, if if there's anything I can impress upon uh, your listeners, it's uh, We Are Lady Parts on Peacock, which is this uh, British series, only six episodes, because God bless the Brits. They're in and out, mm-hmm. uh, and right. they, don't, they don't faff around, um, about this punk band made up entirely of young Muslim women, uh, and it is just so funny and so bracingly original, and it's really doing good work to kind of widen our very narrow uh, impression of, of what Muslim women are. They're not the terrorists anymore. They're not the wives of terrorists. They're just women who are allowed to be on this show uh, nuanced and very funny and kind of horny, but still devout, right? That's that's the great thing about the show. Have you guys checked no. it out yet? Not yet. It was not even on my radar, okay. but now it is. That's Make it your next thing. I'm going to go basic. Everybody's talking about a hacks. Hacks is great. Hacks God is. God damn it. Um, it's so good. It's so good because it is so smart about what uh, what Gene Smart's humor would be like. Not yes. necessarily funny, but appropriate. <laughs> Yes. Um, uh, rigorously appropriate, like exactly that's who she'd be. Yeah. Uh, also, also that uh, the character played by Hannah Einbinder, like she's conceptual, not necessarily funny. Right. But maybe together they can create something. This is uh, everybody I, I talked to was like, oh yeah, but uh, like her jokes, you can't, you wouldn't believe that she'd get on that stage and be funny. Uh, you can believe that millions and millions of people would think she's funny. Absolutely. You know? And you would also believe that uh, she, Hannah uh, could Hannah Einbinder's character Ava could get a job. <laughs> writing with that very conceptual yeah. weird thing. Yeah. Hacks is incredible. It solves the problem of art within art perfectly. Yes. Because exactly. so often, like if there's um, a movie about a musician, you're, you're like, no. Or or like, you know, a movie about like someone has written the greatest song in the world and then you hear it and it's like, mm. Oh, opening or scene of Rent smash. even. Right. Opening scene of Smash where he walks into that audition room and she starts singing and you're like, yeah, it's OK. And then they cut to the shots of the of the uh, of the cast casting directors and they're all, oh, my God, this yeah. is amazing. And you're like, OK, yeah. so you had to close yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not yeah. fair. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's the Studio 60 problem where we're supposed <sighs> to believe that these Gilbert and Sullivan riffs would would be <laughs> something that the American public would yeah. would chew yeah. up uh, uh, like on mainstream television. No, absolutely not. Okay. So, yeah, it's really smart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's she would exactly be that comedian. She's, you know, Rita Rudner, but a little dirtier in vain. Right. Yeah. The, the pantsuits. The pantsuits are oh. spot on. Of course, yes. that's exactly what she'd wear. Of course, of course. What was your take on Studio 60? Did you watch it? Yeah, uh, tried to. Really desperately tried okay. to because I was still infatuated because I was just coming off the West Wing. And yeah. even, even the West Wing, when it was kind of fallen off, was still better than just about anything on the TV. This was yeah. before the newsroom uh, kind of soured me on that dude for a while. Yeah. Because it was just so holier than thou. But, um, yeah, it, it's this stark dichotomy of what he thinks a sketch comedy show would be, right? It's yeah. just, he just thinks he can take his little hasty puddings, whiff and poof style humor and <laughs> say, yes, millions of people would would, would eat this up in a, in a yeah. heartbeat. Sarah Paulson as the the greatest female sketch comedian in the world, and her signature thing is, um, I think, a Juliette Lewis impression. Yeah, 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 yeah. As the Christian Chenoweth, right? As the devout Christian. Yes. Uh, uh, sketch. She like, sang it's... for a bigot. <laughs> yes. I never missed an episode. I hated it. It's my least favorite thing I've ever seen, and I never missed it. it was oh, then such try a the newsroom. Hate watch. Do try the newsroom sometime because you will okay. just get uh, you'll get incensed. You'll get red in the face. Okay, yeah. I'm trying to do less hate watching. There's enough yeah, enough of that just in daily life. 
All right, then let me put you on to Girls 5 Eva if you haven't already okay. done it. Okay, I haven't done it yet. Oh, my God, it's so good. Okay. Um, it is. It has that uh, fast-paced uh, Tina Fey, 30 Rock style, solid joke density, but also uh, some bops, some actual bops. And, huh. you know, you, you give the great and good Paula Pell something to do, and she will run with it. And uh, uh, everybody on it... Sarah Bareilles, who I didn't think of as a comedian, is just nailing these jokes in a, in a big old way. Busy Phillips, uh, Goldsberry from uh, from Hamilton, just they got the chops, man. They got the chops, okay. and it's just solid. And then has anybody? You probably know people involved with this, but Hot White Heist, right? No, the Audible, we do know people involved. Uh, uh, the Audible comedy series, yeah. Uh, Adam Goldman uh, mm-hmm. created and produced. Uh, we will perhaps have him on soon. Uh, but it's, uh, it's uh, Bowen Yang. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's yeah. MJ um, Rodriguez, uh, right. Cynthia, uh, Cynthia Nixon, and Jane Lynch, uh, and you know, <laughs> they're both in the same scene, which means like there's going to be a rift in space time because you can't put those two too close together. Oh, wow. uh, uh, Cheyenne Jackson and. Bianca Del Fucking Rio, right? Uh, it's directed by Alan Cumming. It, this, the story is it's a six episode comedy podcast on Audible uh, where this cabal of lesbians uh, get recruit this gay man, played by, uh, voiced by Bowen Yang, to steal the secret government uh, vault, to break into the secret government vault and steal the sperm of past presidents for reasons of their own. Okay. Um, it's just so funny. It's just it, not only is it funny in terms of joke density, it is richly sound design. It takes you places. You, you go there with it, and the chemistry between everybody is just working on all cylinders. It's just incredibly. It's one of my favorite things of the past month or past year. Let's let's put it that way. It's just a lot of fun. So many great wrecks. I'm telling you, and you have just written the NPR Guide to Podcasting. Uh-huh. So I mean, we will discuss. But what is in like? What are you subscribed to? What's your what's your Oh, weekly podcast uh, diet besides uh, I, it's uh, it's too many i have to kind of go to the thing here because there's okay. just too damn many at any given time let's see keep it must have seen tv gayest episode ever the original cast which is actually a great uh podcast where people come on and talk about their favorite most formative uh, broadway cast albums mm. 99 invisible uh behind the bastards radio lab it's been a minute with sam sanders log rolling newcomers uh which started out as a podcast where uh, Lauren Lepkus and um, oh yeah Nicole Byer uh, Nicole Byer yeah. uh, would watch Star Wars and feel pain and watch uh, uh, what did they watch next I think they watched the Harry Potter no they haven't done the Harry Potter films they watched Lord of the Rings and they felt pain and now they're watching um, they're watching Medea films and I feel pain but, uh, oh. it's different it's like it's the tables have turned and I love it uh-huh. Doughboys make my day with John Gondelman Josh Gondelman stop me when I'm when you've had enough no, who weekly is... You must remember this. Stop podcasting yourself. What the tuck? My brother, my brother, and me. Smartless. WTF. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Hello with from the Magic Tavern. My dad wrote a porno. Beef and Dairy Network. Blank check with Griffin and David. Wait, wait, don't tell me. The Flop House. No such thing as a fish. There's Jesus. more. There's uh, a hell of a lot more. Are you a 1.5 1. speed listener? Or how, how are you getting all these in? I, I think people who listen at 1.5 are monsters, Matt. So, yeah, I no, agree. I am not. I'm not. Uh, well, let me throw this at your I way. Should be. If I should you be. use the Stitcher app, you can listen at 1.25 speed, which I consider to be inoffensive. <laughs> uh, my uh, fiance disagrees. 
Yeah, it would shave some time. Certainly, would shave some time. But I have a dog. He needs a lot of walking. So uh, there's okay. and we got we got dishes. They're made for for washing. And uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, I got I. I there's never a time when I'm not listening, and I have these uh, near noise canceling earbuds. And so, uh, <laughs> and my husband isn't nuts about the noise canceling earbuds, as I'm just kind of walking around the house listening to stuff. But uh, because he, he's often trying to tell me things, I don't yeah. quite pick up on. But uh, yeah, it's just it's it's my it's my thing. And I think the reason NPR asked me to write this book is because I was always stopping. The long-suffering Anna Grunmund, uh, who is the head of the VP of programming at NPR, and I would stop her in the hallways and tell her about the latest, you know, I would tell her about homophilia. I would tell her about, uh, 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 you must remember this. And, and she said, okay, so if we're going to do this thing, go ahead and write it. And my marching orders w- w- were that it not be a textbook, that it not be you know, a dry technical manual. They wanted it to seem conversational. Um, so I think they thought of me, and then also, um, I, I, if it could be funny adjacent, that's also a, a bonus. Well, and I, I, I feel like you're such a, a trusted resource on this because one could argue it is, it is, it is hack at this point to say like just what the world needs is more podcasts. But in a way, we do need them because you're, you're consuming a million of, of them a day. I could use more podcasts, but they need to be good, and so that's where you come in. But what if you? Are able to give us any any little nuggets? What is the Glenn Weldon sort of theory of good podcasting? Well, uh, I'll give you the NPR theory first, and then I'll, I'll switch to me. The NPR theory is that you don't want to start a podcast until you are reasonably certain, more than reasonably certain, that there's an audience for it. Otherwise, you're just talking to yourself. Um, and so what that means is spending some time, uh, we do it in way too many meetings, but you don't have to. You have this book. You can, you can just do a couple exercises at the front of the book to really figure out who is your target audience, who are you trying to reach, and then think as fully as you can, and this is, you know, just as optimistically as you can about what they look like, not just demographically, but what are their habits? Where do they go online? What other podcasts are they listening to? What tone do those other podcasts have? Um, and so if you, it's the, the first question to ask isn't, what do I want to talk about? The first question is, who wants to listen? And if you do that, um, then I think you have you you, you will and, and you keep that in mind. Then you're going to hit the thing that um, that podcasts many 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 podcasts out there need, which is clarity and um, uh, consistency. And I think that's something that uh, that causes this term that I refuse to use, but that others have used, including the New York Times. Pod fade. You know this phrase? I only know it from chapter one of your book or the yeah. Intro. It's just the. No- it's just the notion that uh, you know, pod, pod podcasts start, but they just don't have the staying power because mm-hmm. uh, people just can't get around to it or whatever. It's 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 a thing that happens, and it's a thing that happens for most podcasts. Uh, so, but I at the end of the book, I come up with five rules to podcast by, which are basically number one is be authentic, as they say. If you can fake authenticity, you got it made. But no, I'm talking about how. Um, you don't want to come off slick or pre-processed. You you what what podcasts do that broadcast doesn't is they kind of get inside your brain. And one of the things that podcasts nurture, as I talked about at the top of the show, is this kind of unidirectional intimacy, this feeling that you're talking to your friends or you're sitting around listening to your friends talk. And when it is all created in a lab, I think listeners pick up on that. Uh, Now, you can answer a question for me. Before this podcast, did you guys know each other or were you put together for this podcast? We actually were put together for this podcast. Okay. Okay. That is a kind of alchemy that happens 
only too rarely because you guys nail it. You guys have exactly Thank the you. kind of thing that is <laughs> that causes people to want to come back and listen. As you are at the top of the show talking to each other, it's it's. I love the guests. It's my favorite part of the show. Um, the the other thing to do is to prepare, and this is the thing that people push back on me a lot on is when I say I, when I say prepare, I mean do the research. Like you know, um, if it's an interview show do some research on the guests. If you're talking about a topic, do some research on the topic. But people say, I just want to wing it. It's just me and my pals out there just speaking off the top of our heads. We're hilarious. You may be, but uh, when people come to me and they say, well, like my favorite uh, shows uh, are comedians just winging it. And I'm saying they're professional comedians. They know their audience. They have spent a career honing their voice. So they've done this work that I'm trying to tell you to do. They've done the preparation work already. So when they go into that studio, uh, they are a heightened version of themselves, right? They are, they are, uh, they know what works and they, and they steer into that. So prepare is rule two. Number three is, uh, leave room for discovery. So if you overprepare, you're going to, it's just going to be mm-hmm. dead. If you're just spouting talking points at each other, it's not going to be anything. So for pop culture happy hour, for example, we each come in with stuff we want to say, but the goal is always to find something in that room that we didn't necessarily think about think we'd find when when we you know put on the headphones um the idea is you you want to let the audience in the way to do that is to let them into the process of you guys finding something like they're part of your thought process when you do that uh rule four is as i say be yourself but better pithier smarter funnier if possible um remember that this is it's not. It's you're not putting on a fake persona, but you are distilling yourself somehow. You, you're kind of trying to find what who you are and and find the core of it. And then finally, um, this is the most important one. I put it last, but it's the most important rule: is edit. Um, people think that Pop Culture Happy Hour is not edited because we have such great editors who can take out ums and ahs and lip smacks and digressions and where we say something idiotic, where we get the date wrong, where we mispronounce, mangle somebody's name. All that stuff is edited out. It makes the show 67% better because people are taking the time. And it takes more time than people realize to actually go back and try to figure out what's best here. And let me just not waste people's time, right? That's You're making a contract with people. They are giving us their time. You have to give them something worthwhile. And editing is is the magic word. Editing is the secret as far as I'm concerned. You guys do all of those things so beautifully because you do. There is such, there is a structure to Pop Culture Happy Hour, but there is also, there's obvious joy that you have in each other's presence. You like digress in ways that are always interesting and smart. And it's, yeah, you've, you nail it. And it is crazy. I guess it's not crazy because there is no barrier to entry, but it is, it is wild to me how. Uh, how many people just don't or just like what this will be is like me and my friend talking. Right. Um, and because people love again, that. And it's if if, no. if that's what you're reaching for, if that's when if you are just like, I want to I want this. I want to create a podcast for me and my friends uh, to listen to and to, to get feedback on. That is fine. This book will help you do that yeah. because we'll help you sound good. We have yeah. stuff about microphone placement and all and editing techniques that will help you do exactly that. If you want to grow it. There's also a lot in the book about that. It's a, and again, it's about narrowing your audience, being consistent. That's the thing that podcast listeners want is consistency. If you skip a date, if you blow a, blow a deadline, th- we hear it. We hear from it. We, we hear people uh, kind of 
coming back to us because, again, they're not paying money necessarily, but they are paying with their time, and they have slotted, I'm going to listen to this podcast this morning when it comes out, and if you skip that date, you have to do a lot of work to, uh, to make it up. It's, yeah. it's what you owe your audience. I got to say, this is, uh, we've just surpassed 200 episodes, and I'm still actively taking notes on everything here. I'm like editing, huh? We had not thought of doing that. Hmm, Maybe we'll. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, dude, we are still, when we start a pop culture happy hour, and we're very upfront about this, we we picked from our friend group, right? I didn't really know Linda that well or Steven, but I knew Trey very well. Uh, And... If we were doing it now, would we go into a studio and say, you know what we need? We need to hear from more middle-aged white people. That is, These are voices that desperately need to be heard. And so when Trey left, they gave us a chance to start rotating in people with different perspectives, different voices, made the show better because uh, we tended to agree with each other on way too many things. And... Um, that's not to say that somebody from a different uh, background would would necessarily disagree, but representation, have you heard this before? I'm going to coin a phrase. Representation matters. Mm-hmm. And now that we're five days a week uh, and the four main hosts now uh, ha- aren't necessarily on every show, we, we can pull people in to speak to something that directly impacts their cultural background. And also we can then bring them back to talk about something that really, really doesn't because the people we bring into the show are just good critics right regardless of uh who they are and so they can add something to a show like uh, we are lady parts uh but um as, as roxana hadari did she, she was great on that show but we're going to bring her back to talk about something completely not uh, that intersects her identity in any way because she is a great cultural critic and the show's better when you do that it, when you think about things up front, this is this is what the, the the opening of the book is just. Here's a series of questions we at NPR ask ourselves before we even think about putting together a podcast. You don't have to answer all those questions, but it helps to know that they're out there. Like we didn't know that this question of diversity was out there because we were so stupid, and we created the show on our own. NPR was not part of the process. If they were, they probably would have you know had a a little bit better handle. But we were just thinking, no, we'll do this on our free time. It really won't go anywhere. And, you know, we'll just, we'll go into the studio after hours and we'll put it out and uh, it will be, this is what we think it'll be for, you know, friends, people, people like us. And uh, as soon as we realized that there was just all these major blind spots that we hadn't addressed, the show got better. Dave, welcome to StockX. Matt, it's beautiful. This is this is the only live marketplace for what's now and next. That's right. And whether it's the latest sneakers, apparel, electronics, collectibles, or trading cards, everything on StockX is brand new and 100% verified authentic. And Ooh. Dave, here's the thing. Tell me. Michael Grassi, my fiance, no big deal, who's a true fashionista, yeah. is a big StockX user. So that's how you know it's legit. What kind of stuff does he get there? Oh, I don't want to uh, name names, but we're talking Nike. We're talking Supreme. We're talking Louis Vuitton. Gucci, no big deal. Come you on. You get it all. Because with StockX, you have the power to shop millions of hard-to-find or sold-out products at their true market value. Discover products that are on trend and ahead of the trends 
by shopping on StockX. Download the app or sign up online to start buying and selling in a few easy clicks. Start shopping at StockX.com. Do it. It's interesting to me, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel it it seems like your interest in pop culture really lies in the realm of just quality entertainment and entertainers and art and less in the realm of um, celebrity and gossip and, you know, the trashier side of it that frankly interests me. Uh, well, I will say that when it comes to like reality television, I can't watch The Housewives because it just feels like my parents are fighting and I don't like right. that feeling. I love, I love competitive reality. I tend to stick to the holy trinity of Drag Race, Runway, and Top sure. Chef. Uh, as soon as there's a skill involved, it's much more interesting to me. As soon as there's process involved, when it is personality first, I tend to 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 uh, check out but that's great because there are other people who we'll bring in to pop culture happy hour who will we had just had a great episode on the kardashians where uh aisha who's not big into the kardashians brought in two folks who are deeply into the kardashians but they're into the kardashians in a very canny savvy smart way that's about their impact on the culture that's about their impact on body image that's about their impact on race and it was i learned so much from that episode in a way I wouldn't if it was just the four of us trying to talk about the Kardashians yeah. you know what I mean yeah yeah what's your uh, what's your take on The Bachelor because it, it does sort of live at that intersection of personality and competition and but not set skill <laughs> well, right I mean it I does mean, I, it could be okay. argued that there's a okay, skill there involved is, there is a skill in sociopathy yeah, right? sure, yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah. <laughs> there is a skill in just sort of performative yeah it's, it's not my thing not my thing mm-hmm. again uh, also that when they have a gay bachelor, I might come back. I certainly watched Boy Meets Boy. I certainly watched uh, Playing, Playing It Straight. It straight. Oofta, oh, no. Oofta, oofta, oofta. Yeah. It, was actually, it was actually Playing It Straight that got me uh, very circuitously the job because I used to write up long email recaps of that and send it around to friends. And one of those friends was Trey Graham, who was working at the Washington City Paper at the time. And yeah. he said, why don't you, um, why don't you write uh, reviews for us? And I was like, I, I was coming out of the, the writer's workshop at the time, and I was Mr. Fiction Guy. Mm-hmm. And I was writing egregiously terrible short stories. And um, he said, no, 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 let's give it a shot. So I gave it a shot writing theater reviews. I wasn't particularly good at it. But, man, it was a, a crash course in writing um, very briefly, which is harder to do than writing at length, and mm-hmm. also turning it around overnight because I would often see something on Saturday afternoon and tr- had, to be, had to be turned in on Sunday. So that job, and it wasn't a job, it was freelance, but that job led to me writing, uh, contributing to the blog at NPR, the what we used to call the Monkey See blog, the pop culture blog at, at NPR yes. when it was still in its, uh, its infancy. I was writing comics commentary, and that led to other things, and that led to me being brought on to Pop Culture Happy Hour when it started, which led to me uh, trying to get hired full-time at NPR for years and years and years. And then finally, a few years ago, that actually happened. Um, but if I, if, but if not for playing it straight, that piece of shit, that, that, that anger-making piece of shit, I probably wouldn't yeah. be. I'd probably be still stuck at that um, job that I kind of hated where I was a PR flack. Yeah. Uh, where I stuck at for for sixteen years. Yeah, I cannot imagine you that, as a PR flack. No, no, no. There is a personality type to be a PR person, and I am 
not. <laughs> I do not belong to that particular Myers-Briggs set in a big yeah. way. It was, I was terrible at it. It was terrible. But it was, and this, is a, this has been an issue for me in my whole life. It's very comfortable. It was very comfortable. It was the kind of job you turn off at, at 5 o'clock as soon as you walk out that damn door. And uh, it was relatively lucrative for a nonprofit job. Uh, but I hated everything about it, and uh, I would live for recording Pop Culture Happy Hour, going, in, go, going across town to NPR to go into that studio when everybody else had left and uh, sit around with uh, people who were becoming my friends because, again, I didn't know them at the, at the beginning. And, man, uh, it's just... And then I get to go on All Things Considered and talk about Batman muff diving. So It's really, magical. It's, it's magical. magical. It's, it's the American dream. And that is that is my advice to writers is write like just mm-hmm. write about like if there's something that's driving you nuts, driving you nuts if there's something that's making you happy write whether it is a long facebook post or or as in your case uh an email to uh to a bunch of friends or whatever it will get you it will make it'll give you habits it'll gain you an audience it'll give you discipline mm-hmm. and then it's like you're the perfect place for you hasn't been invented so right keep doing the things that you love and then like technology will happen in two years that will create a job for you. Yeah, that's certainly true. I, I, I think uh, discipline and habits are hugely important. People don't like to hear that because yeah. I hear from a lot of people who say, oh, I have a book in me. It's just about my family and I'll do it. And if you don't sit down to do it, it will not get done. And yeah. Uh, everybody says having written is better than writing. Everything's better than writing. Everything. Oh my God. <laughs> but uh, it, it uh, having written two, two, well, three books now. Um, I can tell you that uh, you know, and and those the first two books were written um, really on nights and weekends. Uh, the, the first one's a cultural history of Superman. The second one's a cultural history of Batman. And I just for a year I was. You know, I was working the day job and then I would go home and write at night and write on the weekends. And my husband had to be an incredibly understanding person because uh, he had a social life. I didn't. Um, And uh, if if I didn't have the discipline, you know, at at, uh, the writer's workshop, they said, here's what you do. You you wake up and at nine o'clock you sit your ass down and you start writing and you stop at 12. Then you have lunch and then you go back at one and you edit what you wrote that morning. And then you, you close off at three and then you have yourself a gin and tonic. And, and, and that's ridiculously prescriptive because everybody has a different process. But I did find that um, as, as I was putting around in the morning and making waffles or whatever the fuck, and then I was on my way to the chair, my subconscious was doing the work so that there was no faffing around when I sat down. I would sit down and I would just start from where I had left off the, the day before as opposed to spending the first hour just sort of with starts and stops. So there is something about structure and about, um, uh, it's a bad word, rigor. It's uh, There is something about it that actually works. But that said, people write how they write. And uh, one of the mistakes that Iowa tried to sell is that everybody should write the same way. And that's not true. No. But people do have the idea that it's supposed to be fun, and it can be, but it isn't. You know, it mostly is. It eighty percent isn't. I think it was Mavis Gallant. No, no, I can't remember who it was. It's somebody who said it. When I write, it feels like I'm taking dictation from God, and that's a sociopath. Oh, is what that is, right? That's there. that's no. Mm-hmm. That person can get fucked. Yes, absolutely. Whoever that is. Sorry, it's a 
it's Muriel Spark. Muriel Spark Muriel said that. Spark. She's brilliant. Prime Minister Jean Brody. Uh, right. uh, but good but for her. No, fuck. she's not. Get fucked. Noted. Yes, Get fucked, Muriel Spark. Um, so you mentioned your incredibly uh, supportive husband who has uh, or mm-hmm. had a social life. Tell us everything. How did you meet? Uh, it was a mini scandal because I was assistant manager of the big gay bookstore here in D.C. Uh, it's no longer there because <laughs> bookstores. But right. um, And he was somebody who'd come in at night and work. This is before I got the, the toxic day job. And uh, we, you know, we were both dating each other people at the time. We knew that um, there was something happening. And if... Uh, if either, if either we we threw the other, threw the our guys over uh, over the barrel or whatever we'd uh, we'd hook up and we we did it happened in the very timid way that many things happened with me back then when I was not um, a, a sexual dynamo uh, we went out for a milkshake like it was fucking oh. our town and at the at the duplex diner the big gay diner here in D.C. after our shift and then uh, I kind of hugged him. And gave him what he, to this day, calls him a pop kiss, which is like a little, as we left, as we went our separate ways. And to me was just, I was, I was French in the guy. And in, in, in my head, <laughs> it yeah. might as well have been It was a lip pop him. kiss, not a cheek pop kiss. It was a lip pop kiss. And that, that's, 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 I guess, my, my distinction. But yeah, uh, and then after that, I mean, we, I mean, I have, after that, we moved in together after three months. Uh, we got sort of what... Our friends called a commitment ceremony, commitment ceremony, but what we called a party. We just kind of got up in bed and said vows to each other, and then we had a party that night. And because and that was, I guess, in '99. Mm, and then a few years back, we got married, married, and uh, yeah, it's been 20. Oh Jesus, uh, I'm going to say 22 years. Wow, 22 years together. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, and he is Cuban-American, and so people tend to think, okay, well, you're the logical, uh, uh, uptight one, and he must be the fiery Latin firebrand, and that is not the case. We are both rigorously logical people. Yeah. He is just more, much more uh, of an extrovert, much more open and, and uh, smiley than I am, and so people make that mistake. Um, so you mentioned not being a sexual dynamo. Mm. I'm looking at the arms. I mean, okay. well, this is where I wanted to go as well. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay. Let's talk about physical transformation. Let's talk about midlife. Let's talk uh, about the fact that we have uh, new landscapers, and they apparently show up at this time on this day. <laughs> like, literally, they, our landlord just changed it, and now there's apparently this is their time. So, well, speaking of arms, how do the landscapers look? Well, I don't know. I haven't seen them yet. I've only heard okay. them. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. I. Sorry, I, listener. It's, I am breaking. Uh, I am breaking all the rules in the podcast book right now. This is this is Christ you know this is. It's not supposed to sound polished. It's not supposed to sound overproduced. It's supposed to sound. And by the way, at NPR, like we've all we're all working from home studios now, and right. we're all our dogs are barking, and you know we'll see. I mean, it's yeah. it's been a long time, a really long time. And in the beginning, the first few months, we'd hear from listeners like, "Oh, it's so cute. Oh, there's yeah. your child crying. There's your dog." taking a dump and uh and who knows now i mean i for me it's just gone been gone on far too long i can't wait to get yeah. back in the studio i heard that yeah what how long do you think you guys are going to be back in this you guys could probably get back in the studio pretty soon right i you know i'm not sure we are now a part of the world of wonder network yes. and they yes, have yes, yes. they have a space and it's kind of up to them as to when it will open 
Okay. I, I don't. So, I, we're not. We'll I, we we got to get I'm back ready. to your body. Uh, this is what we were here to talk yes, about. And body you, image. Leaf blower, leaf blower. Leaf blower directly outside. Leaf blower. He's not going to keep us from this conversation. And there's no leaves. There's no leaves. It's brick. It's blown on brick. Well, it's blown on brick. Probably, probably some mortar that he's. Uh, <laughs> some errant mortar that needs this to is, be. This is. This is. This is the universe saying Glenn should not be talking oh, about his body. That's what that is. That's exactly what it is. No, I could um, not disagree more. Uh, so, yeah, I've always had, like, body shit. Um, I grew up not a chunky kid, but a pear-shaped kid. I was on a swim team. We'd do drills. And then I was a, you know, that didn't help because I was an adolescent, a uh, pear-shaped adolescent in a Speedo, which is not, that'll, that'll, that'll last with you. That'll, that... that's going to. That'll stick with you, yeah. It'll stick with you. And so, you know, uh, and of course it was the time of uh, the Calvin Klein ad, the Marky Mark Calvin Klein ad. And just, just, and I remember going to Bethany Beach, Delaware, and seeing that an ad where some dude had a crop top. So I went out and got a crop top, and oh boy, that was the first time it was actually uh, brought home to me. <laughs> the yawning gap between us. And, um, and it was the same, it was the same summer, I was 13. When I realized that my bedroom window of the house that we rented in Bethany Beach, Delaware, looked out over the backyard of the house where all the Bethany Beach lifeguards were staying, mm-hmm. it was it was a time of discovery. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was also, and I would sit there and I'd listen, and I didn't realize this, but I just grabbed my mom's a Walkman, and as this was all happening, uh, the only tape she had was uh, Donna Summer and Barbara Streisand, No More Tears. Enough is enough. And so something happened. I'm convinced that that's what made me gay. It's the combination of the ill-feeding crop top, the lifeguards, and tears. It's that. that yeah, that's, that'll do that's it. That's what did it. Donna and it. Barbara, together, you did not stand a chance. Trying to outsing each other. And, you know, Donna, bless. Bless bless you, Donna. But uh, yeah, this didn't yeah. happen. So yeah, so all all, all these um, self conscious, overweening, I would say malignant self consciousness, kind of manifested once I came out. I, and it took me a long time to come out. Um, Twenty, I was come, came out at twenty five, leaving a string of horribly disappointed women in my wake who, <laughs> who I just kept dating because I I just couldn't believe it to be true. It couldn't possibly be me, despite the Donna Summer, despite the crop top, despite the uh, lifeguards. I just I just thought. I attacked everything then, all these feelings, the way I would attack any other feeling, which is like, oh, well, there's a logical explanation. I worked in a library then, and I went to the sexuality section, and I discovered something called the Kinsey scale, and I said, okay, well, this explains it. I'm not gay. I'm just, you know, a three. That's fine. This explains all these feelings. And so I would just push it down and push it down and date these wonderful, horribly disappointed women to whom I'd make... Uh, you know, dutiful love, I would say. Oh, wow. Okay. Listen, <laughs> Yeoman-like. <laughs> Yeoman-like efforts. Um, and then one time something happened in uh, college and so, oh, okay, well, this, there's no, there's no thought process behind it. There's no rationalization behind it. This is just instinct. This is, this is the difference. This, this makes sense now, but it still took uh, 25 years and a big chunk of therapy because at the time I went away to the writer's workshop leaving behind a woman I'd been dating in New York. Uh, and she was incredibly supportive and she was gung-ho and all in. And I saw that that break as the logical way to break it off and become who I was. And 
find myself in the cornfields of Iowa, which that was a, that's a whole other story. But, um, but I just felt so guilty. And then when I eventually started dating, I had, I haven't remained to this day, what I call, um, uh, I think I'm just relationship oriented, but I now realize uh, a better word for that is clingy. I'm clingy. And I just, um, so the, the intimacy, trust, body shit, uh, all that stuff just made me kind of hate casual dating. And I would, I would lesbian up real quick. I'd partner up, um, with some very wonderful men, but, uh, it was my, I, I, I would get so self-conscious and so nervous that sometimes in a casual hookup, you know, it might affect the, um, uh, hydraulics, shall we say, you know what I'm, so, uh-huh. I'm talking about there? Okay. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, it just, it took so long to open up to my husband that I, I, I just, uh, I'm not going to use the word cling. I, I, I treasure it. I treasure, uh, what I have with, uh, Faustino because it's, it's something I, I don't think I could have found because I really, I, I, I wasn't kissing a lot of frogs. I just found the right frog. Yeah. What, uh, for someone who was not comfy with their body, what was harder, eighth grade or gay bars? Oh, uh, oh, gay bars in a big old way. Yeah, because I, I managed, my goal in, throughout uh, middle school, especially middle school and high school, was to be, just be invisible, just to get through it. I knew there was something better out there, and I, if I could just, and my mom worked at the school, and she was just such a school spirit person. She worked at the athletic office, and then she worked at the principal's office, and she was so full of school spirit, and she kept trying to get me to go out for sports, which was not in the cards, and then go out for the band, which was also not in the cards. So I, I edited the newspaper. That's uh, that's the concession I gave to her. I will do this one thing. Um, but yeah, gay bars, I just, I I, uh, I can't, I, I never hooked up at a gay bar. Never. Possible. Just, just was too convinced, A, that everyone was looking at me and judging me, and B, holding the same thought in my brain that no one would ever look at me. So uh, <laughs> that is that is not a uh, – that's not conducive to um, hooking up. Well, and, and where are you in that uh, – sorry to use the word, but journey now? I understand it's not healthy, but it's still a big part of my life. And, you know, I, I got in pretty great shape before the world – broken fucking two and uh both my partner and i have packed on a few so um instead of relegating ourselves to just being comfortable in our skins we got a gym <laughs> we installed a gym downstairs and we got the mirror and, uh, and a bike and so we're all we're and we're you know counting our calories and punishing ourselves because we are middle-aged gay men and that's the law yeah you gotta do it what was your uh how did you get into shape in the first place what were your uh, I got up, I was, I was pushing 380 is how I got into shape in the okay. first place. Uh, yeah. I just, just, I reached, um, the alcoholic, what, what alcoholics call rock bottom, I would call just not, not being able to go upstairs, like not, uh-huh. not good. And then I just got determined that I would, uh, take steps and take steps every day. Not big steps necessarily, but just consistent steps, which is what matters more than, uh, ex- great, great exertion. It's just doing yeah. it every day. Uh, it's doing something every day. But I gotta tell you, you know, I would enjoy the occasional um, post-dinner tipple of an evening, mm-hmm. <laughs> perhaps a dry sherry. And uh, past year, that has been uh, a bourbon uh, more than more, oh, sure. more more than more often than is necessary, shall I say? Yeah. And so that's another thing that I'm we are correcting, we are addressing. 
as the I world comes back. I don't know a single person. Uh, uh, the only people I know who aren't are people who addressed it before. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I, yeah. yeah. Yes, I would sense. argue that it was very necessary uh, for yeah. us. Um, it yeah. helped. Yeah. Glenn, you are such a dream guest, and uh, we we must have you back because there are a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more for us to get into. Oh, I'm sure there is, and I just want to congratulate you guys on 200. That's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and just keep doing what you're doing because what you're doing is great. Thank you so much. 